Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. so much. Welcome online, those of you. So good to see you. Oh, okay. Melissa told me not to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't know if this is even going to work. Maybe it won't even matter. I'm just going to watch the chat. I'm going to have my phone on while I'm preaching. How crazy is that? All right. Um, my name is Tim Swatsky. I am uh, responsible for Pastoral care here at C3 Calgary. And it's a real privilege to be here with you today. Before I get going, I have two things I need to mention. One, which I didn't do in the first service, I need to give credit to Naomi McCauley for getting me on to uh, beard masks, which are a thing. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. I had to go shopping yesterday for one because I look a little bit more ecclesiastical, a little less like a gold prospector from the 1800s. When I got it on, so good, so good. Uh, and the second thing, which uh, I'm going to be doing an online conversation with Douglas Lester, who, there you go, um, was up here leading the service with, uh, with Serena. And we did some things early on in the COVID shutdown with a discussion around uh, discipleship every Monday night. We're going to do that again for about six, seven Mondays starting April 26th, two Mondays from now. And we're going to be going over a book, chapter a week, uh, called Winning the, War, Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Groeschel. This has been hugely beneficial to me. And uh, I finished it. I loved it. I think it's very practical. And so we're going to have some practical discussions on it. We believe this is something that can help people grow in Christ. And recommended to me by a very good friend. All right. There you go. Those are my announcements. Okay, today I just have one question that I want to find an answer for. I want to know, I want to know, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for what we face? Is Jesus enough for today, for both our spiritual needs and our emotional needs and when we, we know we need him most in the middle of a crisis. And the series right now is based around uh, steps. We're looking at the steps Jesus took. We're looking at how those affect our steps. So I want to look at one thing, one statement that Jesus made to his disciples, which provoked, provoked them. Hopefully it provokes us. But I'm looking at Luke chapter 9, verse 12 to 13. Now the day began to wear away. And so we're at the end of the day. It's at least supper time. And he said, Jesus has been teaching to thousands of people. The day began to wear away. And the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. We are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, 
Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Provocative statement from Jesus, you feed them. Now, if a person does not understand who Jesus is and how he represents the very character and nature and image of God, there could be some harsh things that you could read into this. You could say, okay, here's the point Jesus is trying to make. He's saying, I don't have what it takes. He's saying, I don't got enough for what's in front of me. Is that what he's saying? Unequivocally, no. This command, this, this mandate that Jesus gives his disciples, you give them something, that comes in between two pivotal moments. Right before this moment, Jesus had just commissioned and sent out 72 disciples to tell people the kingdom of God is coming. Please heal people and uh, cast out demons. That would be great. And then come back and we'll talk about it. And the disciples actually came back and they were actually bragging. They were like excited. They were like, even the demons obeyed us. Like, it was a bit of a surprise. And then this happens. And then after this, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples with the same, a similar mandate. Preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal people. And they did. And so we know that when Jesus is telling them this, he's not trying to rub it in, trying to show them what they don't have. He's trying to show them, I am enough. Jesus actually doesn't put it on them. He actually takes the food, these, these, these humble, meager rations, and he just he lifts them up to God. He thanks God for them. He begins to break them, hand them out to the disciples, and they begin to hand them out to everyone in the crowd, 5,000 people. And there's more than enough left over. Everyone had their fill. There was enough. But Jesus' statement directly spoke truth to their experience. Spoke truth to what they were experiencing in that moment, and it made all the difference. And we saw what happened when they took him at his word. They saw that they could cast out demons. They saw that they could pray for people and see them healed. There is something so... There's a measurement of maturity as a Christian where you can bridge the divide between what you're experiencing and feeling and the truth and the power of it. First Corinthians 1. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, a very learned person, talking to a church which highly valued Awesome words, proper words, fitting words, and deep, deep, uh, not deep truths, but things that felt and sounded deep and profound. I'm sure there were some good things in them, but it was really important how these things sounded. You had to be eloquent. Let me just turn there. First Corinthians 1. Boom. First time I opened my Bible. Awesome. Good. Here's what he says to them. 1 verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, in order to bring to nothing things that are. He took people of humble means and humble beginnings and humble resources and used them to turn the world right side up. Because of him, speaking of God, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus is described as both the wisdom and the power of God. Not that he is a very wise person, not that he is very powerful. It says that he is wisdom and is power. And to know Christ is to know wisdom and to know power. And Paul comes back to this. He's like, in 2 verse 1, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest, your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The one who was highly trained and eloquent in how to speak publicly became an entire contrast and opposite to what this church valued. We, we value the people that are profound, that can say something like a wisdom bomb that just, it might knock you off your socks. And, and I see this, I see this happen. I am tempted to do this. Most often when we pray before church on Sunday mornings, I don't always pull it off, but I am tempted. We have microphones here. We call it the prayer huddle, which sounds weird if you've never been to one. But basically for 10 minutes, we just pray for church that day. We pray God just move. We declare what God wants to do in the church. You know, when people come in today, they will encounter the presence and the power of God, that their lives will be changed and healed. Hope will be restored. We pray these things over everybody that comes. And it is always so tempting to want to be eloquent when you've got a mic in your hand. When, you, when you're there in front of people, and, you, and some people are just naturally good at it, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not anything to do with their heart. They're just like, dang, that guy's eloquent. And they pray, and they're just like, it's like poetry. And, and then well, I take the mic, Jesus, ah, help. And mic down, walk away. And it's awesome. It's good. But, you know, and just human natural means, it's like, oh, I wish I could have, and I don't want to pick up the mic because I just I sound like a loser. No. We pray from our heart. We cry out to God. We know how to do that. It doesn't, doesn't mean eloquence. But what he is saying here, I resolve to know nothing lies with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then it says, your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men or the power of God if that happens. So we resolve to know Christ and to know him crucified. That is what makes all the difference. I was, I'm going to move this for a second. A couple of years ago, I was invited over to a friend's house before COVID. I was invited over to a friend's house and he showed me his computer 
and he showed me these goggles. And they were virtual reality goggles. I was like, that's pretty cool. He's like, try it. I'm like, okay. So he, he pushed the TV back. He marked out a five-by-five five on, the, on the carpet in the living room. And you stand in the middle of it. You put the goggles on. Everybody can see what I'm seeing, but they're seeing it on a TV. It's like you would see it on the screens. But I'm immersed. I'm immersed in it. And he says, okay, Tim. Um, he turns it on. I see a place that looks like downtown Calgary. It looks very realistic. It's down, it almost looks like down by the Calgary Tower. I'm like, cool, cool. And he's like, my friend says, turn around. I turn around, I look, physically turn around and physically see an elevator in the side of a building. I was like, that's pretty cool. He's like, go over there. I'm like, okay. Walk over. I think it's a joystick, so I kind of walk and walk and joystick at the same time. And I go over there, and he's like, okay, call the elevator. I'm like, okay. Went like this with my hand. A virtual elevator comes down, opens in front of me. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Very neat. He's like, okay, go in. And I was like, okay. So this is me. I'm stepping virtually into an elevator that I see. They watch me doing this on a TV. I'm in a virtual elevator. I'm really turning around, and I'm really, he says, Tim, I want you to type in, go to floor, go to floor 666. <laughs> well, nothing good happens on that floor. He's like, don't worry about it, it's gonna be great. Because he, he knew what was gonna happen. I was like, ah. Oh. Physically, I'm just like, okay, bum, bum, bum. Uh, and all the lights go out. And they're watching all the lights go on the TV. I'm, I am in the dark myself. There's microphones. I hear things. I'm in the dark. And all of a sudden, the lights come back on again. All of a sudden, it's like the elevator aged about 50 years. It's decrepit, dusty, cobwebs. I'm like, oh, nothing good happens now. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the, the doors, they crack open a little bit. And, and I look out, and uh, there's a 10, I'll say an 8-foot, I won't exaggerate, but it's all virtual anyway, so who cares? There's an 8-foot tall spider slowly dragging himself towards me. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, if you've seen Shelob, if you've seen, you've seen this. There's a giant spider with eight eyes crawling across the street, dragging itself towards me, towards my elevator. And I'm, I'm facing it on, and I've got the, the keypad here, and I, I physically go like this. I'm like, I'm hoping you can't see me because I'm like standing next to the keypad, and I'm like, closed door, closed, 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 closed. And it's not closing. And all of a sudden, you see one of he drags himself right up to the door, and you see a leg kind of like drag down the door frame. Like, ah! And the, and you, you see the elevator start to move. And I'm like, oh, gee, thank you, thank you. And as it's like rattling, it's rattling up and the, and the lights are flickering and all of a sudden, thousands of teeny tiny spiders begin to ooze out of the cracks in the elevator panels. I'm like, gosh, and they're laughing and they're watching me like, like going fetal in a fetal position while this is all happening. And I'm like, I want out. I want out of this elevator. Okay, question, am I in an elevator? No, I'm not in an elevator. I'm standing in someone's living room. Fear? 
has totally given me tunnel vision by this point. I don't know where I am, except that I'm here and now in this. Like, I, this, this is my perspective. Uh, I can see that much of what's happening. I'm like, now I just want out. Spiders are oozing. The door opens. And of course, this elevator was on the outside of a building. And now I'm, now I'm hundreds of floors in the air. And the door opens. And there's a two-by-four reaching out over dead, dead air, dead space. Like, I look out. I can literally do this with my goggles on. I'm standing with my feet at the edge of the elevator, and I look out. Nothing. Like street. Like you're looking down through the glass flooring in the Calgary Tower. Except there's a two-by-four. And I'm like, I want out. He's like, my friend is like, go out on the two-by-four, Tim. It's like, well, okay. Okay. I step out. Step out. And they're watching me in, in his living room do this. I'm going like this, and, and I'm looking, and, and then he's like, look behind you, Tim. I look back. There's a clown. <laughs> I know. There's a clown. A clown with a saw. <laughs> and there's this, this maniacal smile on his face. He's like, <laughs> and he's like sawing away on the two-by-four, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, there's nothing you can do when you're on a two-by-four and there's a clown behind you except fall. And, and so eventually, the two-by-four snaps. And there's... Here's what it looked like to their perspective. I was like, no! And I literally lowered myself to the ground while I watched the pavement rise up at me from hundreds of feet. And my body just said, this is it. My stomach nodded up. It was just the worst. Okay, so how much of this was true? None. None of this was true. None of that was true. But it was all very, very real to me. It was a 100% experience and a, a, a terrorizing one at that. Was it true? No. In truth, I was, I was here. I could have been sitting in a chair. I was here. Someone could have come up to me. And I think this is what Jesus does very often. He is trying to impress the power and the reality and the truth of the word of God and what he has decreed upon us. While I'm terrorized by clowns, Jesus is going like Tim, like Ephesians. Read Ephesians, Tim. You're seated with me. You're seated with me in heavenly places. I'm watching what you're watching, Tim, but this is what's actually true. You're seated with me. You're good. You're safe. You're awesome. You're going to be okay. I know what you're experiencing. Bridge it. Bridge it, Tim, right now. Between experience and truth, you're seated with me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. This is what mature believers do. They bridge the divide between experience Good or bad, and truth, real. And truth as found in Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom and our power. Like Paul said, this is who I resolved to know while I was among you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, in my role as a pastor, I'm very often in walking into difficult situations that I do not have solutions for. I walk into problems. I, I sat with a friend uh, months ago in a McDonald's parking lot. 
that has poured out his heart to me. And I, I didn't have an answer for him for the problems that he was telling me. It was a heartbreak to me as a pastor. I mean, I can't, I'm not here to f- fix necessarily. I, I'm here to comfort sometimes. Fix seldom. But I listened to him. I listened to him tell me about his problems and how he was backed into a corner. His family was going through a hard time. Some terrible consequences could have been coming down the road for him. And I couldn't do anything except tell him that God saw him and that God was here. And to me as a pastor, whose life was going pretty good, knowing that his was not, uh, that's a hard thing to say. It's a very difficult thing to tell somebody that God sees them. You don't, you just pray to God it doesn't come through as a platitude or a cliche. Because all I know at that point is that it's true. I listen to him. And this is what I do so often when I'm sitting down with people. I get them to start talking to me. I listen, I ask good questions. I knew this person's history. I knew that God had done many miraculous things in his life and in his family. And so I had this from listening and paying attention and this precept that Jesus was here. I know he's here. I listened and I put together the threads of what I knew God had done up to this point. I said, look, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know God is faithful. I know his character is good. I know he's cheering you. He is for you and not against you. I know the future that God has for you. It is good. And then I recounted to him some of the moments that he had told me about in his past where God had come through with bureaucracy and paperwork and miracles and healing, and I just, I just remembered them to him. I remember, I, the, the, some of the powerful things you can do is actually create memorials for other people and yourself. Here's where I saw God move. And then you recount them to yourself to encourage yourself, and you recount them to other people to encourage them. You encourage them in their faith. I saw God move in your, move in your life. I saw God do this. Let's just thank him right now for it. Father God, I just thank you for what you did in his life. How you carried him when he couldn't carry himself. This person actually came up to me a couple of weeks ago and told me about the breakthrough that happened and it just encouraged my faith so much because at that point, it did not look good and I was so, I was so heartbroken because there was nothing I could do. But I saw God move in their life and he came back to me with a, with a positive ending six weeks later. And I was like, yes, God, thank you. Thank you for confirming your word, confirming your character. It was so encouraging to me. There's something about being able to have good habits and good community in your life that will insulate you against utter destruction, emotional destruction, physical destruction, circumstantial destruction. I want to look at one final passage here. There we go. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 45. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is named Gethsemane uh, because of an oil press. Uh, Not an 
car oil press, like an olive oil press. Olives are pressed there. It was named for that. There was a famous oil olive press that was in that place. At this point in time, it had moved from being a place where olives were pressed to uh, what could have typically been a place of prayer, a little park, a little retreat where people could get away to. And Jesus often went to places like this. They were numerous all over, well, the Middle East at that point. There were little places of prayer where it was like a, a well-defined boundary, maybe stone walls, stone boundary around it, open roof. You could go in there with a few friends and just pray. Very cool. We should, we should make some. Um, but Jesus went into this place. Here's what he says. Verse 36, he says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. The first, the first element that Jesus brought into this moment, this utter and, 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 and destructive grief that he was about to walk into, right before he went to the cross, that's the context. He's about to go to the cross right after this. He's about to be betrayed, handed over to the authorities, and crucified. And he knows it. He brings his 12 disciples with him and says, sit over here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And so he had this value for community. He had this value for a circle, not a tiny circle of friends, but a larger circle of friends. And I see this as so depicted in the body of Christ and us gathering together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. And there's pocket groups and Zoom conversations going on, texting and, and it's, that, it's the larger circle of supportive believers that we have around us to, to tap into and to contribute to. We both take and receive from it. It's encouraging. Now, a lot of people will say on Sunday morning, do you really get down to the heart of a matter with somebody? No, it's not about that. It's about gathering together. We hear a rallying word. We, we worship God. We encounter. We all get on the same page. And I see so many times like the anointing that that is on one person speaking or ministering or whatever, it spreads to the entire congregation because we belong to it. This is such a big deal. So Jesus says, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So there was the larger community they're part of, not the world community, not the city community, a tight-knit community. And then there was the inner circle. This inner circle, he asked them to go with him a little bit farther in his journey with just him. What does he say to them? He began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to these three, not to everybody out there, but he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the inner circle that Jesus, he took his mask off and he said, I feel like I am so burdened, so sorrowful, so in agony. I could die. I could die. He knew what was coming upon him. He knew that he was going to bear the weight of our sin. Every time I've ever felt guilty, imagine that multiplied billions of times and then placed upon one person. The guilt alone could kill somebody. 
He says, keep watch with me. Remain here. Keep watch with me. He was open and transparent with them. This is that circle that you would actually figuratively give a scalpel to and go, I need you to do some surgery on my life. I need you to speak into. I need to open up my heart and my life to you. This is where I do that. I wouldn't always do it on a street corner with everybody that walked by. There's a lot of good people out there. But these are the people I know and I trust. And I would, I would crack open my heart to them and allow them to share in what I'm going through. Okay? But that's not where he stopped. He asked them to keep watch with him. He asked them to pray with him. Like a, that idea of keeping watch that he asked them to do. I said you have a soldier keeping sentry over someone with something, keeping guard. He says, keep watch with me. So they're, they're charged with watching over him in prayer. Then he goes on a little bit farther, and he falls on his face, and he prays, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not as you will. Not as I will. Not as you, not as I will, but as you will. Father, I know what's about to happen. If it is at all possible, I want to avoid it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And there is something so earthy about that prayer, so real about that prayer, that he is earthy and real with his Father in heaven. Is it, and I asked this question in the first service, is it wrong to be tempted? No. No, it's not. Is it wrong to desire something that God does not want for you? No. How can you say that to him? Because Jesus died a sinless death. He died a perfect sacrifice for my sin. He was acceptable before his father when he died and paid the price for my sin. Only a perfect sacrifice can do that. So he wanted something, if at all possible, apart from what God wanted for him. How did he remain perfect in that? It was because of what he prayed at the very end. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. He completely submitted himself to the Father. This was his power, and this was his wrestling match. And it didn't just happen once. It happened three times. He went back and forth. After he prayed this, he agonized over it. He got, he got over a, some kind of a hump in his emotions. He went back to the guys. They were, per- they were asleep. They couldn't keep watch. He goes back again a second time, prays. He's like, Father, nevertheless, not my will but yours. I give myself to you wholeheartedly. Goes back, they're asleep. Goes back a third time. Does it again. He's wrestled. He has fought. He knows how to wrestle in prayer. And this is our question. Do we know how to do that? Do we know how to do these things? One of the things that they describe in many of the Gospels in this account of the Gethsemane is that he says, Abba, Father. He describes his, his God as a father, an Abba, Father to him, a very dear, affectionate name. He knew the truth of who God was and who he was to him, a child, his child. He knew what that meant and the power in that. It would, it would be the equivalent of if there was something that I was trying to compare this to before, there was the experience of what was happening in the, in the experience, but he knew He knew it was true. He had held on to it. And so the experience, the terror, the clowns, the elevator, the spiders, they held no power over him. And this is what we have the opportunity to have as believers. 
the experience we have has no power over us. We get to say with our, to our hearts, to ourselves, I'm seated with Christ. This is all happening around me, but I am seated with Christ. Right. How do we walk into that? We're going to have the, uh, the team come up now to close. But quite simply, look at what Jesus did. He immersed himself in the community. That group of 12 disciples. He shared his heart with them. He, he ate bread with them. Lived life with them. He opened up his chest to the three that were near him. Do you have three people? Do you have an inner circle that you could open up your heart to and be honest with about anything? Temptation, thoughts, struggles, victories. These are the people that will remember when God came through for you, when you can't remember it for yourself. These guys make memorials for each other. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did this for you. This inner circle, this is where that happens. And then this place over here of wrestling, wrestling in prayer. This is where I see so many people, again, wrestle with. I'm not very good at praying. I don't pray that much. I don't read my Bible a heck of a lot, Tim. I will just encourage you, and I've said this before, lower the bar. Lower the bar. But it means I'm not going to get my Bible done in a year. It's like, dude, you're not going to get it done anyway. Lower the bar. Maybe you do it in two years. I just know I am much more inspired to read my Bible throughout the year now because of the staff and the pastor I work under because that's what they do. That kind of stuff rubs off on me. I love it. I'm plowing through it again. But if you're like, I can't do this, I can't do this, dude, I'm going to tell you one of the best victories I had in in elementary school was getting third place in high jump. And um, I I didn't get so high, but, you know, it's elementary school. uh, There, good. But I found in practice when the bar was like, you know, five feet, all I'm doing is smashing my head into it. Right? (laughs) You can't get anything done. You're not going to learn anything. Keep hitting your head against the bar. Lower it. If you got to step over it, step over it. You got over the bar. Call it a win. Where is that place for you in reading the word and in wrestling with God in prayer, learning how to be honest with him? Do you know how to pour out your heart? I didn't. I have to learn how to do that kind of stuff. How do I share my heart with God? These are the things you do. And you learn it even with the circle over here as well. How do they do it? How do they talk? How do we hear about prayer here? Do we build these things into our hearts? These are the tools God has given us to overcome the experience that we are immersed in, that terrorizes us, grieves us, wears us down, because we know how to disassociate and associate with the truth and bridge the gap between the two. We know how to speak the truth over what's happening in a way to the, in a practical way to what I'm experiencing right now. Okay, we're going to be covering some of that in our online Instagram conversation, which would be very cool. You can join us for that. And I just want us to... Let's just stand and just close right now. Let's just close our eyes. If there was something that spoke to you, if there's something you feel you need out of what I addressed today, it could be that inner circle of friends. It could be even just discovering, like, where do I begin now in prayer? How do I begin to read my Bible in a way that's practical and relevant to me? Just put out your hands and just, Father God, 
what you have called us to, Lord, you will deliver us into. And Father, we make a covenant with you right now. We agree with you, Father, for where you are moving in our lives. We agree with you that you give us the grace to seek your face. You give us the grace to crack open a Bible. You give us the grace to look for you where you are in our day. Father God, right now, I just submit our eyes to you, Father, that we would see where you are moving in our day. And we would thank you for it, Jesus. And give us discernment and a thankful heart to recognize the humble moments we are working in our day and in the days of our friends in our inner circle. Thank you, Father. We love you and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.